Three, two, one. Hi, everyone. This is a, a, a great intro because we're doing something different. Um, before I introduce, introduce the guest speaker for this episode, we're doing a catch up with my daughter. I'm Aries, and this is my month, and my daughter is Tati, and she's actually back in New York City. She was visiting um, Hawaii, and it was December when the cases were quite high, and uh, we expected both she and her fiancé, her and her fiancé, to come to Hawaii, but instead, of course, her fiancé got sick with COVID, and that's kind of what happened. How was it, Tassa, as you prepared coming to Hawaii in December? It was quite hectic, right? Yeah, it was really stressful. I don't think I really processed those couple of days because Matt got COVID on Christmas and my trip to Hawaii was supposed to be, was on the 27th. So from those three days, it felt like a week because we were basically isolating from each other just to make sure we, you know, I could still come because the main point of my trip was to see some venues. Um, so as soon as he got it on the worst day, <laughs> um, we isolated immediately. So we weren't together for Christmas Eve or Christmas. We were in the same house. Luckily we have a basement, but we were not right next to each other. Um, and I just kind of just waited. I took a test every day. So I would take a test and then just relax and then wake up in the morning, take a test. And then I was able to come, which is so crazy about Omicron. But yeah, it, going home was so nice. It was the first time I'd gone home for New Year's in a really long time, maybe seven years, six years. Um, so that was lovely, but it ended up all working out because it was storming for about five days. And so we, my mom and I, it was nice because we got to bond a lot, but we just ended up going shopping for five days and spending too much money. So I told Matt, like, I think this is the one trip it was good you didn't come because we couldn't even, we could barely even go outside, let alone the beach. So it all worked out. I was only there for 10 days. So half of the trip, it was really indoors, which was kind of relaxing and nice, but you know. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely like how it happened worked out fine because I mean, we all kind of needed that rain for the winter or I should say Christmas break. It made me feel like I needed to take a break um, because without that rain, I think I would have just done so much and not taking an, an actual relaxation break from doing so much activities because Christmas uh, in Hawaii is warm obviously. And um, you always want to go to the beach, you want to do hiking, you want to go running, biking, etc. So it forced me personally to just take a, a, a real physical break. Hopefully we had a mental break too, but uh, not mental break, not mental break. But I think we actually wanted to do something too. The reason why you came home Matt and you wanted to look for uh, your obviously wedding venues and and that was very interesting too because obviously the wedding venues in Hawaii that you wanted to see were all outdoors. <laughs> How was that experience for you? Yeah, well, we looked at venues in New York just to get an idea. And then you looked at a few, but this was the first time I was looking at some back home. And it was 
rainy, but I think we missed the storm the couple of days we went, which was nice. Um, I mean, it was fun. They, you know, the venues are beautiful and I've never, one of them I've never even heard of until the last couple of months. So it was good. I think the good thing about going when it's winter or when it's raining is that you can see what the worst case scenario would be. So like, you know, you never know what weather could, what kind of weather you're going to get on your wedding day, even if it's like the middle of the summer. In fact, I feel like there's a lot of rain in the middle of summer, like a summer rain. So it's good to see rain because then you get an idea. But yeah, it was fun. I think it was it was really neat to see things in person because there's really only so much you can do on the computer, you know. So yeah. I don't think I don't think I would have chosen my venue if I didn't end up visiting. I think I would have chosen yeah. another one. And it yeah. was hard for me to choose that for you because yeah. between your dad, myself, we kind of, you know, spread out to look at venues and he loved mm-hmm. every one of them almost like I, I loved every single one of them too. And it was hard and we need the third. I mean, we need the actual people that are going to get married to come and make that decision. So I hope Matt and you decided, right. And since then you guys have already picked your venue, which is exciting. And I know yeah. that continues, but what was in Hawaii that you like uh, have like a foodie tour? Did you have a great like catch up with just with your friends? What was the rest of the trip like? Yeah, I don't I, I feel like the trip, it was crazy because it was so quick, but I feel like I can't believe I've, I've only been back. What was it a month? When did I come back? But um, I guess I would define this trip as I always like to just summarize it, but I, of course there was the wedding things. It was definitely much more relaxing with the rain and just kind of taking a breather, but I was still very busy, right? <laughs> like I was still going everywhere. I guess this trip was, I was really, I was able to see one of my best friends, Lena, a lot. And I feel like the last couple of times I've been, I was able to see her, but this, I think this was one of the trips where I've seen her the most in a really long time, like consecutively. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. Um, what else did we do that that was a little different on this trip? I think um, uh, I think the wedding venue visits definitely. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. Um, actually, we took Lena, you, and uh, um, Jay. You know, person I work with on our mentoring program took us like last minute to drive to this. I thought that was very interesting to look at a venue that was closed and no one was there. We tried to figure out how to get in there. Oh, okay. uh, it was still, You could still see it, but yeah, it wasn't the same. Yeah, I was curious. It was memorable. <laughs> that was a um, I yeah. guess this trip was very, you know, um, I guess kind of gives me a taste of what the wedding week will be like. You know, because we'll be running around, you know, a lot. We even did a little bit of like casual, not wedding dress shopping, but we did some like event dress shopping. Like, So I guess this kind of gave, that trip kind of gave me a taste of what we would experience because, you know, I jumped around. I saw a lot of friends. I saw a lot of family. I got a, like a good smattering of everything when, you know, shopping, you know, I'm sure we're going to be doing lots of like random trips to the mall and stuff like that. So yeah. So that that's a good trip for like catching the sales and and things. We had bought a lot of things that's after Christmas sales. Yeah, um, I think oh, yeah. New Year's yeah. too. That was interesting because like 
thank God no one was sick at New Year's Eve, but then everyone got sick after that, I guess, caught COVID. And so you were able to catch up with your dad's and your dad's family to celebrate New Year's Eve. And after that, it was like, okay, now we can't see them because they got, some of them got sick. So (laughs) um, that was good to catch up for New Year's Eve for Hawaii because Hawaii has definitely come back with the fireworks um, event. And um, we had to stay home because of our dog, Lecky. We couldn't go anywhere, but we actually had an event we had to go to that we had to cancel because of the raising cases um, and, of course, our dog. So if you have a dog, New Year's Eve, pretty much do not go anywhere for Hawaii now because it's it's going to get worse. Um, it is already bad, but um, it's it's good to prepare yeah, I think as you, you know, plan to leave Hawaii, um, was there anything that you thought you wanted to do and didn't do it? I mean, as you were like, oh, I'm back now in New York. I wish I did that. What was the thing that you really wanted to do? I think I did everything, but um, yeah, I don't think I regret anything. I mean, I didn't get to go to the beach that much, but that's just because of the weather, I would say. I think I only went to the beach like twice. Um, I did work a lot. So that was interesting. So I did have to wake up about four or 5 a.m. But honestly, like, I don't regret it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say something else. What was I going to say? Oh, I, I think we went to actually like a bar that just opened. I thought that was kind of. because. Oh, yeah, we did a lot of like we tried new bars like um, like Bar Leather Apron. There was a bar that I got to try and now I want everyone to go. I think it's. Um, got won like so many awards and then we did another bar called what was it called the morning glass one um pp bar pp bar correct and I, we went there and it's it's basically a bar behind like cafe in chinatown and then a bunch of my friends our friends went after oh i was gonna say i think something that i learned on this trip was going to hawaii for christmas and new year's is not I wouldn't really suggest it to be honest, like that might be controversial, but it's just, first of all, you could get bad weather, which is what happened. And there's just not a lot you can do for the holidays. So I would recommend going to Hawaii for the winter, but not necessarily New Year's or Christmas, maybe Christmas, but maybe not New Year's because if you're looking to party, at least if you're looking to lie on the beach on New Year's Eve, like of course, but I would recommend definitely going to Hawaii for the winter, but making sure you plan around a holiday Um, because I actually met someone. I didn't tell you mom, but when we started casually wedding dress shopping and I met um, a girl who she was actually born in Hawaii, but never lived there. And she ended up actually going to Hawaii for her honeymoon a few years ago um, during Christmas and New Year's. And she told me, she was like, that was a bad idea. Like she had fun, but she said, like there was nothing to do on New Year's. So I guess for people listening, um, not that I'm saying don't go, but just keep that in mind. Like it's a much more relaxing. If you're looking to party, unless you have something already planned, like keep that in mind. Cause I think people just assume Hawaii's gonna have this crazy scene. And yes, um, of course. As of this year, maybe it was a COVID thing. Maybe things will change in a couple of years, but. I always think that if you're going to go to Hawaii for Christmas and New Year's, you have to understand that it's not going to be 
the scene. I kind of feel like that way with a lot of Europe cities, European cities too. So yeah. Like, like when we went to Christmas in France, like it was pretty quiet. Yeah, I think everyone is actually hitting the big city for New Year's. Um, wherever you live, maybe that's something to think about as we plan our next Christmas or New Year's vacation. It's going to go quickly. Um, think about what uh, what big city you want to spend it on. And yeah, we were actually in, in, in a small town two years, three years ago, and we thought that was a mistake. We should have gone to like a bigger town course Paris right they have everything so yeah yeah, but we appreciate your visit here we're happy that you could have uh I mean you probably last minute could have canceled it but you actually made it through so thank you for sharing your I guess experience what it feels like to be back here you know on your own and doing the things you wanted to do but also um five days of rain So now we're going to just intro, give you the introduction of our guest speaker and, uh, you know, a little bit about her, uh, Kimberly Bassford. And it's my pleasure to interview her. She's an independent documentary filmmaker from Hawaii who combines her love for storytelling with her background in journalism to bring the underrepresented stories of girl and woman to the world. She's actually currently producing uh, several feature length and short documentaries and previously directed and produced different documentaries, including Winning Girl, The World Channel, Women Makes Movie, Java Films, Patsy Mink, ahead of the majority 2008 PBS, actually produced and showcased that, cheerleader in 2003, and also she was a producer on two national PBS documentary series, uh, which are in Unnatural Causes is Inequality of Making Us Sick in 2008 and The Meaning of Food in 2005. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you, Kimberly Bassford, and I hope that you enjoy getting to know her, how she started, and her just creativity, and also her, you know, experience as juggling between being a mother and a business owner and a filmmaker. Happy listening. Aloha Wahini Collective followers and listeners. I'm very thankful today to have a wonderful guest speaker, Kimberly Bassford. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi, thank you for having me, Aries. Yes, it's our pleasure. And you are a documentarian, which I just found out that's a word. It's been it is, it is a word. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, making sure that I said that word correctly. And you are a filmmaker and producer. What uh, an awesome time right now just to have conversation. I hope we can learn about you. So, you know, you've, you've done so much for our community. But let's just start with getting a little bit, getting to know you a little bit. Just, you know, an ice, some icebreaker questions. We do this quite often with our guests. And then we'll get to know you more after that. So growing up in Hawaii, we get our favorite 
you know, munchies, we get our favorite snacks and beverage beverages. So what are your favorite snacks and or beverages? Oh boy. Um, let's see. I, I really, I enjoy like cheese and crackers and um, edamame. Um, I like salty. So I'm a salty girl, not a sweet girl. So um, like all the candy in the house is safe for me. My kids go for the candy, but I really like salty stuff. So chips. Yeah. Uh, pretzels. Sorry. Specific chips that you like? Uh, I just like them crunchy and I like salt and vinegar, but also like plain classic. Yeah. I mean, I like actually when I travel trying different flavors, you know, sometimes in different countries, they have, um, you know, cool different things that they like to highlight with their chips, but no, I, all kinds of salty snacks. Yes. I actually understand that my husband is definitely a savory, savory, salty snack type of person. And when he stresses at work, he would come and look for snacks. So what is snacks to you mean? Like, do you eat it while you're working or it's just for fun or as a Um, problem? Yeah. I mean, I, I try not to eat too many snacks, but I work from home. So it's really hard to stay away from them. And I think when I'm, you know, when I'm kind of stuck, like if I'm working on a grant application or, you know, basically a writer's block, it's, I I tend to stand up and go look to see what's in the kitchen for snacks. But if I'm in, you know, really great space and just kind of going, you know, working, then I actually try not to eat too many snacks. Good. Self-control, it's it's such an important part when you're eating chips, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's so like yummy and crunchy. Well, um, we know that you have had success uh, just, you know, being able to express using your own creativity, but also showcasing women trailblazers out there. Um, And we appreciate that very much. But when you were growing up, um, whether in your early childhood or college or high school, did you have some wonderful or very great female role model? Um, Definitely. I think I'm lucky that I I come from a family with a lot of strong women. I feel like my family is full of matriarchs. And I think actually a lot of families in Hawaii are that way. Um, so my parents got divorced when I was in sixth grade and my mom basically raised my, my brother and me as a single mom. And she juggled two jobs to send us to private school. So I always saw her as very strong and independent and determined. And I would say my two grandmothers on, on her side and my dad's side, their moms are also strong matriarchs who hold down the family and really kind of are the glue. So I, I saw that growing up. So I always thought of women as, you know, being, like I said, the anchors of their families and being strong role models. Um, so yeah, I was lucky to be surrounded by that. That's what it really attracted me to get to know you and have this conversation because um, I think this is a great way to obviously support strong filmmakers in of Hawaii. Um, recently, I watched several Sundance, you know, uh, film festival myself, and there were some films that produced by Hawaii filmmakers, but specifically women filmmakers. This is the part I think why we 
we want to connect with you. So that's good to know with the female matriarchal and you were raised by a single mom and went to a private school. So speaking of private school, I guess you graduated from a really good school, uh, which we all probably want to go still, even though we graduated. We still want to check out Punahou. It's a great school. I've heard a lot. But you went to Punahou, correct? Correct. I did. Yeah. From first first through 12th grade. Wow. The whole entire school. like Almost, almost. Yeah, it starts at kindergarten. So I missed out on that 13 plus club, but I was there from pretty early on. Were you like moms or grandparents or family members also? Um, I had an uncle who went to Punahou. My mom went to St. Andrew Prior- St. Andrew's Priory. So um, no, I mean, I had an uncle and I think there are some other, you know, more distant relatives who might've gone, but no, I was kind of, you know, the first of my generation, but my, my brother and I both went there. That's definitely um, helpful for your journey and your career now. What uh, what happened to after Punahou? It seems like you attended um, again an Ivy League school, Harvard, and degree in psychology. Tell tell us a little bit about from that journey from the Punahou High School to Harvard. What was it like? Yeah, well, I you know growing up here, I think I was really interested in just experiencing a completely different place, and in my mind, you couldn't really get farther than the East Coast. So I applied mainly to East Coast schools, and um, I was fortunate to get into Harvard. And when I did, it was sort of hard to to turn that down because you know it does have a great name. Um, but it was in a way actually really tough, you know, being that far, and the weather was you know, it sounds kind of trivial, but that, that affects every, every, you know, every day walking out into the cold, that was a little tough. Um, and I had, there were times where I thought of maybe transferring, but I stuck it out. Um, and yeah, looking back, I think it was good. It really helped me grow as a person, you know, to have to put myself out there to have to make, you know, new friends and figure out, you know, everything sort of on my own, um, especially coming from Punahou, where I'd been there since first grade. So, um, yeah, I, and I, and my husband went to Harvard too, and he's from Hawaii. So, you know, for at the very least, it was really important for me to go there so that I could meet him. That's right. I, I, I think you're so humble because, um, we have a lot of probably high school kids right now who want to go to Punahou, of course, else, you know, from, uh, there want to go to Harvard but it sounds like you are just there to meet your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because I didn't really know what it was I wanted to do in terms of careers. So I majored in psychology, like you mentioned, because I really liked, I liked the psychology course I took as as a freshman. And I had to declare my major really early, um, basically by the, by the beginning of sophomore year. Uh, So I had only taken, you know, a handful of courses and I took like an intro chemistry, psychology, um, a Chinese history course, and I think a music course that first semester. And the psychology course was by far to me the most interesting. So I declared that and I ended up sticking with it. And um, yeah, I mean, I've always sort of been interested in what makes people tick. And so psychology is a great foundation for that. And and it's something you can use every day. But uh, in the end, I did not want to pursue being like a psychologist or psychiatrist. So I found filmmaking after college. 
Um, and in a way, if I had known earlier, of course, I would have pursued it in college. And actually, Harvard has a great documentary film program. But um, I didn't know at that time that's what I was interested in. So I think, you know, we all take our own paths. And I, there are some friends who I knew, like out of high school, knew exactly what it, they wanted to do. And they went ahead and pursued it. And I was definitely someone who kind of took a while to figure out what that career path was. And um, I think that's fine. But when you're in it, sometimes it's like nerve wracking because you're wishing you knew, right? Or you're wishing you're already on that path. So that's so true. That's yeah. so true. So obviously now we know you are a documentarian, a filmmaker and a producer, but you also have your own company. And but what launched you to become that person who you are now? Because was there a movie? Was there like, oh, you know, something happened in your life and you're like, OK, I, I want to be that person who you are now. Yeah, yeah. That's funny because in movies we talk about inciting incidents. Like, was there something that happened to your protagonist that set them off on their journey? And I can't say there was a single event, right? My decision to explore filmmaking was really sort of a conscious decision based on um, just a lot of self-reflection. So basically at the end of senior year, you know, at Harvard, you know, most of the companies that come to recruit are consulting firms and investment banking. And I didn't really want to enter corporate America. So I instead decided to come back home to Hawaii. And I was offered a job to work as a legislative aide for then city council member Mufi Hanneman. And I thought it was a great opportunity to come home and, and, you know, learn more about city government, but to really use that time to do some self-reflection. So um, I did, I, I read some books and did a lot of like self quizzes and just kind of did some thinking about like, what are my skills? What is it I want to do? And I just kind of kept coming back to things like media. Um, I wanted, I mean, I wanted something that I could be creative. I wanted something where I could be my own boss and sort of be in control of things. And I like project-based um, sort of work. And, and I also wanted something where I'd have impact. So I, I, so media just sort of kept coming up, film and media, but I didn't have any experience, but it just sort of ticked all the boxes. So in a way, it was very strategic. It was like, hey, this seems like it would fit. I really have always loved movies. I never thought of them as a career path. And so I just decided to try. Like, I just decided to go out and start interning at places and seeing if I really had the chops and the interest. But um, it was kind of more of a conscious decision. Well, that's good to know, right? Everyone is different in their process to find what it is they're called to do and their purpose. And I'm glad that you had that conscious, you know, choice too. And um, not very many people feel like even in this, you know, later part of their years felt like this is what they want to do and they can still do it. They can still make a conscious decision if anyone feels like they're not happy with what they're doing. Let's... Uh, make that conscious decision. As far as um, what you're doing now, so you are the producer, writer, and filmmaker with uh, Making Waves Film. I love that name, Making Waves. I think the term really, um, it, it seems like a lot of energy coming. You know, when you're making waves, there's a lot of 
things that come before the waves and then yet after the waves happen, of course, and there are changes. So tell us more about, you know, you as a producer, writer and filmmaker and uh, being a part of Making Waves Film. Are you the owner? Are you basically, you are, okay, wow. So that's a lot on, on your hand, but how, how did it start? And how do you do all this filmmaker and still owning? Obviously you have to, you know, make sure that there are funds coming, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you wear a lot of different hats. Um, I do documentary film. So um, I am really interested in stories and particularly stories about girls and women or stories about social issues. Um, right now I'm working on a couple films and they that theme of women, especially women of color and also mental health are kind of coming through. But um, yeah, I, I basically, um, so I kind of do two things. On the one hand, I have projects that I initiate that I'm interested in stories that grab me that I really feel need to be told. And I want to, you know, tell them through the format of film. And then I have to go out and fundraise for those films. And, and they're really, you know, they can take a long time, you know, four or five, six years or more. Um, and you really, like I said, you were all hats. So I try and I come up with the idea. I fundraise for it. I try and, you know, once I have budget, I hire crew and, you know, I'm also the storyteller. And then I also sometimes freelance for other people's projects or get hired to do commissions. So it's kind of a combination of both like my own projects as well as freelancing and working on other people's films. And, and, and when it's freelancing, is it still doc as a documentarian or documentary films? Yeah, well, it's usually, I, I still try and stick in like nonfiction storytelling, okay. but um, sometimes it's as like a director or producer to, you know, like hire to do a short documentary for an organization. And then sometimes it's like being a researcher on another documentary project. So it really depends. Um, and I think most people who are independent filmmakers, it's really hard to make a living just doing your films because you have to find the funding for your own films. So most of us kind of either you do films and you teach or you do films and, you know, you have some other day job or, you know, you freelance on other people's uh, projects as like a director or a producer or a researcher or whatever um, skill set you have. That's a lot of skill set when you said producer, writer, and it, it is. And I think that's what's exciting about documentary, but also it's uh -huh. challenging because, you know, when you think of most of us, when we think of movies, we think of narratives, which are, you know, fiction films, Hollywood films, where there's huge crews and huge budgets and everyone is very specialized, right? You're like a director or a producer or an assistant, you know, producer or a second a, a, a director. I mean, there's all the different positions in documentaries because, you know, the funding is much more limited. And also because of the nature of the stories you're telling, it's a lot slimmer, leaner crews. Um, you know, like I usually, sometimes I shoot my films, sometimes I hire a cinematographer, but I don't think I've ever worked with like more, a crew of more than five or six people. So um, it's a lot smaller, the teams, and therefore you have to do a lot of um, multitasking. Oh, that's, yeah, that's part of uh, owning a business, definitely. That's, yeah, and I think that's also just part of life and part but, of being a mom. <laughs> I think yeah. moms are really great at multitasking, yeah. Oh, I forgot to ask about that uh, motherhood. You have two? I have two kids, yes. Two children. Eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And where do they go to school? 
<laughs> they go to Punahou. Yes. Oh, yay. All right. The um, definitely, hopefully going to follow mom or dad's or their own unique talent. And I'm pretty sure with your uh, ambition, they'll see that. Um, I love working with kids. I love parents with great real models, you know, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen to your kids, seeing you working multitasking as mother. Um, so what um, we want to know as uh, here, Wahine in Hawaii is probably different challenges that we as women of Hawaii are facing, but specifically for women um, here in Hawaii, what are the challenges as filmmakers or as producers, directors, or even owning a business? Yeah, well, I mean, the film industry is male dominated in general. And I think documentary is a little bit better, right? There are a lot more uh, women who are directors and producers in the documentary world, editors, even cinematographers. So there's there's more space for women, but it's very competitive in terms of funding. Um, and, and if you think about it, like, I, I know most people probably can't think of documentarians off the top of their heads, but the ones you might know of are like Ken Burns and Michael Moore. I mean, they're all white, white men. And so there is sort of still that that those challenges, I would say, in this industry, just as in many other industries, um, that, yeah, and it's just sort of institutional barriers, I think. But um, I think it's slowly starting to change. And, and I do love when I like see the list of, you know, Oscar nominees, they tend to be more women in the documentary categories than you see in the other ones. So probably because documentary has less money. So so that's where they let, you know, there's more space for women. I mean, it's sad when you think about that, but I don't think that's a little, I don't think it's a coincidence. Oh, yeah. I, I think, does the does pandemic have something to do with also now people watch more um, documentary films, you know, what, yeah. what streamline they're doing PBS and I know you I have think so I mean some people are saying we're sort of in a golden age for documentary because it's mm -hmm. more mainstream I think because of the streaming services like net like Netflix you know one of their biggest hits was Tiger King which is like a docu-series so um, I think people in general are more interested in documentaries and that's really great for all of us but it's, it's also still like there are more opportunities but then it's the competition is still really fierce. You know, it's really tough to get onto a platform like Netflix and whatnot. Um, when I first started working in documentary, most of us were, you know, PBS was sort of the place you would go. And that's the place, you know, public television with funding and, and whatnot. And now there are so many more players. Um, and, but it's a lot of like the kind of Hollywood folks are now getting into documentaries. So for us who are kind of more independent, it's still really tough. Right. So overall, it's just a tough, competitive business. And it, it is. I mean, I think most of us who go into this aren't doing it for the money. It's just because, you know, we just feel compelled to tell these stories and we just love telling them. I mean, my background's actually in journalism. So I came to documentary through journalism versus coming at it from like film school. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I think you do it really well. So I have recently watched the uh, Patsy Mink documentary on PBS. And I was like telling my friends, you got to watch it. Cause you know, we, we had to remind ourselves about her. Patsy yeah. 
Yeah, she's, I mean, it's interesting, you know, a lot of us in Hawaii, we, we might know her name, but we didn't really know like what she had done. And she's had such a huge impact. I mean, maybe more than any other politician, I would say, with Title IX, because that has radically changed the landscape of our education system, right? You know, and it's opened up opportunities for women. Um, so yeah, and, and so that's kind of one reason why I did the film. But um, it's interesting because the film is 14 years old right now. Like it came out in 2008 and people are still discovering it. And I'm really grateful that PBS Hawaii is rebroadcasting it this year um, in celebration of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. But um, yeah, more and more people need to know her story because she is one of our own and she's a great example of, you know, someone from Hawaii can make a big difference on the national level. Yeah, so what was your motivation behind? Uh, I, I know it was, it's been a while, of course, now they rebroadcast, but back then, what motivated you? Motivated you to, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think I was just really taken with her story. You know, uh, she passed away in 2002. And at the time I was in graduate school um, at journalism school, and I was reading about her life story. And you know, I was just struck by a few things. For for instance, she was the very first woman of color to serve in the U.S. Congress, and and that was just kind of amazing to be that trailblazer. Um, but then also that she ran for president, and of course that she co-authored Title IX, which is legislation that. I at the time was directly benefiting from as someone in graduate school and that all of us today, I mean, men and women, boys and girls, the fact that, you know, we have that women are not limited in terms of admissions and um, well, with sports and all these things that like law schools are 50 50 men and women nowadays is all, you know, due to Title IX. And so, yeah, just I was just amazed by her story. And the more I, I dug into it, the more I found her fascinating. Yeah, good job, by the way. I know you have a lot of other films uh, showcased in um, your website, and we'll post your website on our Instagram, how to find your, you know, information about you and of course your films that you've produced and directed. But um, this is kind of like you mentioned trailblazers. So I, I see kind of the pattern you're doing, you know, you're really showcasing women trailblazers. So thank you for uh, getting that motivation and just kind of like in showcasing it to us and inspiring hopefully um, women here in Hawaii, uh, but specifically women of color. I see that you're doing more, you know, um, women of color in Hawaii and trailblazing, um, and they're just kind of focused on their accomplishments. Um, mm -hmm. Is that the theme that you're looking for? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not something I started out doing as a filmmaker. I don't think I said I'm going to be a filmmaker who focuses yeah. on women's stories or women of color. It just sort of happened. Or I mean, it was like the first project was actually my first project in graduate school was about cheerleading. So it was very oh. female centric. And then Patsy Mink. And then the one after that was Winning Girl, which was about a, a young Hawaiian Samoan girl here in Hawaii. Her name is Tashaya Alo. And at the time I met her, I met her when she was 11 and she had these Olympic aspirations to win gold in judo and wrestling. Um, so that story ended up being sort of a sports documentary that follows her rise through the judo and wrestling worlds. Um, and then also, you know, just the journey that she and her family have to take in order for her to 
achieve her dreams. But, you know, I think it was at that point I looked back and I saw the pattern. It was like, oh, all my films are about girls and women and from whole, you know, from, well, the cheerleader when they were in California. But, you know, I think I'm really interested in looking at these women and, you know, I mean, they, they happen to be trailblazers, but I think at the end of it, it just, I'm really interested in their, their resilience and their determination. Um, and, and it's not easy, right? They all sort of have challenges that they kind of have to overcome. So, yeah, I think that has become a theme, but I don't know that it was something I set out to do on purpose. Well, when, as a, as a person that watched the movie myself like um I, I saw clips of that winning girl I felt like resilient I mean I could see that what you're portraying the resiliency and her determination mm-hmm. in or try all the way she wants to participate in the Olympic and I was like wow uh most girls are gonna say no nah, I can't do it but that determination was definitely you know, uh, you could see that and you could feel it through your movie. Um, is that what you want to inspire women that we, you know, seeing that movie, is that what you're trying to, you know, give the message to, to us? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I myself was just really impressed with Tashaya's confidence, you know, when I met her and she was 11 and she was, it was just sort of infectious. I was just really drawn to her and wanted to follow her journey and see if, you know, she would rise and, and make it. Um, and she, she didn't go to the Olympics, but in the film, you see her get to the world championships in both sports, which is a huge accomplishment. And also just, I was impressed that she was doing two sports, right? <laughs> like most of us might only pursue one sport. So it was just, yeah, I think I was interested in that. I mean, I did that film too. And I, that's the film I did when I was, you know, had my kids. And so I think I was just really interested in being around young people and energy, you know? So I think that's sort of one reason why I also did that film, but yeah, I, I really like stories. I mean, I like underdog stories. I think we all do. And I also think of Patsy Mink sort of as an underdog story, but um, yeah, there's definitely a common theme there of resilience um, of, you know, both, both Patsy Mink and Tashaya Elo, you know, faced losses, right? They didn't win all of their, their matches or all of their political um, elections and whatnot. They had quite a few losses along the way. And so I think that's just a theme anyone can take. You don't have to be a woman to, to, you know, resonate with that, but all of us in our lives, you know, are dealt with challenges and blows. And I think it's, really inspiring to see others who kind of are able to push through and accomplish great things despite that. Yeah, we forgot about our challenges when we see that movie. I hope people are just going <laughs> to go for it and overcome it and not think twice to do it. Yeah. That's the, that's the energy I got from watching it. So how do people, you know, can they watch some of your films what's the best way to find your films sure i mean they can just go to my website makingwavesfilms.com and all the films have their own pages with links to how you can find them um both patsy mink and winning girl are on vimeo on demand so you can get to them and um rent them and stream them online um 
I, they have official distributors too, especially if you're like an institution, like a library or college that wants to buy either the digital rights or the DVD. Um, I think Patsy Ming's also streaming on Canopy, which is like an educational streaming service. So there's kind of different routes to getting to them, but all of that information's on the website. Thank you. I hope that listeners will check it out, her films. I did, and it was definitely um, different, you know, positive vibes coming out of it. And we'll see what you guys get out of watching her film. So you have a new right now, something in the works. And um, this is how I actually start to get to know you. I got an email from Mental Health of America, Hawaii, uh, of a fundraising called Embracing Hermana. And I was a little, you know, like, oh, I love that word embrace. But then Hermana is even more like, what is this? So it actually created a curiosity. I was curious uh, about it and I started to read it and I was like, okay, I just registered. And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a movie, but it's actually a fundraiser. So mm-hmm. tell us more about this fundraiser and what is it for and what's your goal? Sure. So um, I'm partnering with Mental Health America of Hawaii, which is a nonprofit here in the islands that um, advocates for, you know, mental health, mental education and awareness. Um, And we are hosting an online fundraiser on Wednesday, February 23rd. Um, And anyone can come. So you have to, you can go to Mental Health America of Hawaii's website and get to the registration page. Um, And um, it's going to be on Zoom so people can come and it'll be, you know, I'll be talking and there'll be some Mental Health America of Hawaii staff and I'll be showing preview clips from the film in production. So, yeah, so one of my current documentary projects is a film called Working Title. Actually, we're not sure what the title is going to be, but right now I'm calling it Eye of the Water, The Unwritten Life of Sia Figuel. And it's a character-driven sort of observational documentary about the Samoan writer, Sia Figuel, um, who, if anyone has read Pacific literature, she's kind of um, one of the most well-known Pacific uh, writers of our time. And she's really was one of the first to focus on the stories of girls in Samoa. Um, so I, I actually first, heard of Sia and came across her work when I was in college and I took a a semester abroad my junior year and I studied in Samoa Um, and that's where I came across Sia's book because Sia is from Samoa and her first book was called Where We Once Belonged and that was the book that really put her on the map and ended up winning a Commonwealth Writers Prize but it's a book that um, centers the story around the lives of adolescent girls in this um, fictional village in Samoa, um, sort of set in the 1970s. And it's a book that's full of such life and, and, you know, just kind of rich, kind of, she really describes the life of, you know, the village and what it's like to be a girl growing up in Samoa and celebrating some of the joys of coming of age, but also a lot of the struggles. And what I think made the book really remarkable is that it didn't shy away from taboo subjects like abuse and violence and suicide. Um, And so, in any case, I read that book in college, and then I had heard that Sia was coming to Honolulu in 2016, so now five years, almost six years ago, 
And um, of course I had read her book. And so I was really interested in going to the book reading and that's when I met her for the first time. And she shared about her life story and some of the things that she was working on. And she was actually about to go on this walk across America to raise awareness of diabetes and obesity among specific Islanders, because those are issues that she's been dealing with. And um, I was just kind of fascinated by this woman, this beautiful writer going on this, you know, kind of mission. And that's where the project began. Um, it's evolved since then. And it's ended up becoming much more about mental health, um, which is why I'm partnering with Mental Health America of Hawaii. But um, yeah, it's been in production for now almost six years. And um, I'm trying to raise finishing funds to finish the film, hopefully by the end of this calendar year. So that's why we're trying to invite the public in and we'll share some clips from the, the rough cut and hopefully people might be inspired to help support the project so we can get it finished. Yes, we hopefully can um, help in one way or another attend, of course, this Embracing Hermana fundraising that's on February 23rd. And uh, the time is uh, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. It's online and we can provide that link too in our Instagram, um, how to uh, register and attend that online event, that will be great. Um, the process, of course, takes a while. Like she said, it'll take the end of the year. So does that mean that if you can't like attend this event, can they still help and donate to? Yes, yes, you can um, definitely donate. You don't have to come to the event to donate. Okay. It's just you know, a way to kind of create some energy and also to share those sneak peek clips. But um, information on how to give is on my website and I can share that with you. So you can put that link and share it with folks. But yeah, people can give and I do have a nonprofit fiscal sponsor. So donations are tax deductible to the full extent allowed by law. And we'll be fundraising, you know, all the way until we finish the film. Um, documentaries are expensive endeavors and the funds go to like me paying the editor for his time and eventually we want to hire a music composer to create an original score for the film um, even once we have the edit sort of done in terms of like the story there's still a lot of finishing work like correcting color correcting the footage and sound design and all of those things so um, that's sort of what we're trying to raise the money so we can finish that great well, um, we are very just like um, inspired by your sharing, by what you went through from school, you know, um, high school, then college and all the works you've done. I'm pretty sure there's more to come after this. So we want to make sure we follow you, uh, your journey together. And speaking of journey, um, we want to kind of have different uh, getting to know your closing questions as a mother yourself, what legacy would you leave to your children? Mm, um, yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot, a lot of ways I could answer that. But, you know, we, since we were talking about um, girls and gender, I mean, I definitely think one of the things I try and stress to both my kids is just, you know, um, gender equity. And I think my husband and I are trying to raise them. So, so we have a boy and a girl and really making them both feel like, you know, there shouldn't be anything that stands in their way because of their gender and encouraging them to, you know, like not have, trying to raise them in a way where there's not a lot of gender stereotypes. So encouraging, you know, them to do whatever activities they want to do and to embrace whatever traits they have in themselves and not worry if that's seen as a, you know, boy thing or a girl thing. 
Um, so that's, you know, one small thing we're trying to do consciously, but um, yeah, hopefully just raise them to be um, caring uh, citizens of the world who want to make the world a better place. Wonderful. What a great parent, both of you. Um, and I, you know, working with, I, I work actually, my day job too is working with kids, working with teens um, and inspire them, I guess, more seeing their potential. So I've heard a lot of what they want to do in life is to be a filmmaker. Oh, <laughs> to, awesome. Right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's awesome. If, so what would you tell these young you know, soon to be going to college and want to study filmmaking, what would you want? What kind of wisdom would you like to share? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, do it. And um, you don't even need to necessarily go to film school. You can just pick up your cell phone camera and go and just start telling stories and put them up on YouTube, right? And it's, I think, in a way, there's so many more opportunities today to get your stories shared. And that's really great. I would also say, especially for documentarians and not, I mean, not exclusively for them, you know, look in your backyard, right? Look at your own life or your own family. Sometimes we think our own stories aren't that interesting or not valuable or people wouldn't care about them, but sometimes the most fascinating stories are right, right around you, right? You don't need to like go to New York or, you know, somewhere to find a really great story. Um, and I think that's what we're finding. I know you mentioned Sundance and I know there was a film there this year that was from Hawaii and, and about Hawaii. So yeah, I would just tell people to kind of, you know, look, look close to home. Yes, we definitely love that as far as Hawaii, it, you know, people think it's small. It's actually not. Our community is pretty diverse than itself. It's pretty big to just learn from each other. Um, yeah, I th I'm very thankful for your time. And I, I would like to continue our discussion. There's so many questions, obviously, I can ask you, but um, we do want to ask you, is there any questions that you wanted us to ask you? And we didn't ask you. <laughs> oh, um, that's funny. That's a question I often ask my interviewees in a documentary film. I'm like, is there anything I didn't ask you that you think I should ask or you want to say? And almost always they say, no, that was... <laughs> That was good. I'm, I'm good. You asked me lots of questions and they were great. And I sort of feel like, yeah, maybe I, I would say the same. No, I feel I feel good. I, I don't have there's no burning question right now I can think of. So thank you for asking so many diverse and interesting questions of me. Yes, of course. That's what we're here for, to create a platform for women to share their voice in a safe environment and um that's what we want to inspire young people, especially young women, for they can actually make that changes around them just by speaking out, expressing themselves, and by having conversation like this. And thank you for having your conversation so open, so honest, and genuine with me. And um, I'm very um, inspired to not just go to donate, but also inspired to watch your films and continue your journey. I hope I can inspire others uh, in Wahini Collective followers and listeners. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing, Kimberly. We well, hope thank you. you next time. Yes, and thank you for creating the space um, to share women's stories and for women to learn from each other. So 
yeah, I, I really appreciate being here. And I hope to stay in touch too, because, you know, that one film I talked about, like hopefully next year this time, it might be done and we could talk more then about what the final film is like and where it's going in the world. I'll definitely share that film to a lot of, a lot of people that I know here in my circle because um, there's so many aspects to it. So mahalo and have a great day and the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, you too. Wow, that was such a great conversation I had with Kimberly. I learned so much about her, how she started, and I hope that we got inspired by that. What did you think, Tati? I loved that episode, Mom. Um, great job, by the way. I, I thought Kimberly was just so um, amazing on, you know, on this interview, and I know it's something she does all the time, probably, but I just felt like I really connected with her just through the recording. So it was great. It definitely makes me want to watch it. She just, you know, just had so much knowledge and inspiration to share, but still super, super humble. So yeah, I'm excited to, to share it with everyone and for everyone to hear it and then to watch her documentaries later. I've been, I haven't really been a documentary person before, but I know, like she said during, I thought one of the biggest one of the interesting things I learned was how during COVID documentaries just got so big. So I want to start, I think this year would be a great goal for me to start watching more documentaries. My friends really love it, but for some reason I haven't gotten into them. So maybe I'll start with hers. So we actually still have time for our first giveaway. And Tati, would you like to tell the listeners how to enter? Yes, we still have our giveaway till February 27th. Yes. And basically what you have to do is listen to the podcast with Kehlani, the jewelry designer. And there's some information at the end of the podcast about it. Um, a few of the local designers will be sharing their favorite color. So DM us those what those colors are. And then if you want a, make sure you follow us without, that goes without saying, but make sure you follow us. And then for a bonus entry, if you repost us on your stories or on even better your grid, um, that counts as an extra bonus. So we already have some entries. So there's a lot of time left because this comes out on February 16th on Wednesday. So you have about a week and a half, but you know, giveaways, sometimes you don't think you'll win, but you never know. It could be your lucky one. And there's some great prizes. Definitely about self-care treats, like uh, loving yourself and taking care of yourself is basically loving yourself. So I hope that you guys will enter because there's a big possibility that if you enter, you will win and uh, increase our supporters. Thank you so much for supporting the Wahine Collective so far. Uh, We are increasing our followers and we also want to empower um, other Wahine in Hawaii and around the world. We are thankful for our listeners, men and women, actually, intergenerationally. We hope to bridge the gap between, um, you know, different age group, but also different gender 
And happy listening and have a great day. Bye. Bye, everyone.